morning, Terra family. Well, there's always some things we can count on when we get back from our men's retreat, and one of those is uh, the afterglow of worship together, uh, but certainly a part of that I witnessed today was that the guys were doing more talking at the beginning of the service than the ladies for once. Um, And on that note, I do want to just start off by extending gratitude to uh, the families of the men who were able to go on that retreat this weekend. Um, I know that it's a sacrifice for you, but it's worth it. Um, When, and this is true for the women coming up as well, but when we create distance from the everyday pressures of life and responsibilities of life, It enables us to enter in in a different way to presence with each other in community and with the Lord and return to everyday life with a clear sense of purpose. And I trust for our guys, uh, just hearing some of their stories already, that that was true and the case. Um, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just felt compelled to say too uh, when when I was thinking about the sacrifice. I know that it can be a common experience for men or probably when the women come home too, um, for the guys to just be like riding on this high, but at the same time kind of tired from the work that they put in because it is emotionally exhausting if you're really engaged. And the ladies are just like, what? You just went away for two and a half days. Don't you dare tell me you're tired. And the guys are tired and they're trying to hide it, right, and come home and serve, but they're a little grumpy because, you know, they've spent themselves emotionally and the wives have maybe less capacity, if, if you're married here, we're talking about, like, and, uh, and, and are just looking for the guys to pick up slack. And sometimes that first night home after a retreat can be rough. So, any amen? Okay. And I say that not just to be silly or funny. I honestly say that to kind of diffuse any sense of guilt or shame or like, oh, that must not have been... Uh, that wasn't worth it on the part, you know, of, of maybe a wife or for the husband to be like, oh, nobody else is experiencing this. What's, what's wrong? Like, how am I f- a failure here? No. Like, that's pretty common. And I just want to encourage you guys. There, there is fruit that comes from the liturgical rhythm of these annual retreats that's going to pay dividends in the days and months ahead. Um, we're going to have a chance to hear a little bit more, I hope, of of that fruit at the end today. We're going to create a little bit of space for some of the guys who are interested to share brief testimonies of their time. So uh, I want to, before we get to that, pick up from where we left off last week when I was sharing a little bit of a sabbatical recap. Um, And if you weren't here last week, this is kind of the second half of uh, of me sharing some of the overflow, some of the themes of what God uh, taught me and by extension, my family in the four months that we had um, away on sabbatical, and it was a huge blessing. And last week, I talked about two themes, and these were kind of in chronological order in the way that I experienced them during the retreat. And those, the two themes that I talked about last year were identity and communion with God. And there's something I didn't say last week with regards to identity that I feel like I missed an opportunity to say and need to kind of circle back because identity is a hot-button topic in our culture today, and not just today, it has been for a while. 
And I want to be clear that those pieces I talked about last week um, of identity that I was pressing more deeply into were things that God has defined by his word about me, not that I have defined for myself by some sort of internal feeling. I talked about how I uh, just had a reinforced sense that my, my identity was as a soul before God and as a body and as a child of God and a creator and a husband and a father. And those are just a few, right? That wasn't meant to be an exhausted list. Um, but the reality is, and I didn't say this last week, I, I have the privilege and get the opportunity to discover who I am according to God, not according to my internal sense of things. Um, because I'm often wrong about the way that I feel. For example, there are days that I'm unhappy in my relationships. And if I listen to that internal sense of discontent, then I could end up abdicating and abandoning my role as a, as a friend, as a pastor, as a husband, and as a father. There are days I'm unhappy with my body, the way that it looks, the way that it feels. If I listen to that, I could try to drastically alter that situation in destructive ways rather than find rest in the sovereignty of goodness and God and who he's created me as. So identity isn't something that I create. It's something I get to discover through knowing God. And I just want to say there's freedom in that. Our feelings are often a moving target, and it can be exhausting to try to chase after them and see them fulfilled. Identity, by contrast, is something that is fixed. It's something that has been determined by God, that he offers us as a gift. It may not always feel good, and it may often feel like we're not living up to those identities. But we can always know what we are aiming for, and we can always know God is for us in that pursuit of becoming who he's created us to be. So I thought that was an important clarification. The other thing that I mentioned last week was uh, the important theme of communion with God, which may seem pretty self-evident and obvious if you're a Christian here today, that's important. But I came away with just a renewed sense of conviction that that is what we are created for. That is the priority of discipleship and following after Christ. And, it is, and a byproduct of that life is that God gets glory. So it's not like it comes at the expense of God being glorified through a life in pursuit of communion with him. The other facet of that journey of uh, understanding more deeply the importance of communion with God was um, I came to understand in a deeper way that God has designed obedience, right, which comes in many forms, as the meeting ground in which communion with him takes place, right? That could be loving others, especially when there's no hope of reciprocation, of, of that love coming back our way. It could be denying ourselves, cutting off our false sources of comfort. It could be uh, endurance in general through trials and difficulties in life. We talked about this on the retreat quite a bit, finding joy by enduring in faithfulness. And I just, I came to this place where I realized that was very much an overlooked place where I could be experiencing communion with God is in the midst of those kinds of obedience and the trials and difficulties that come with that. God meets us when at our lowest points, by faith, we come to him with empty hands and say, I, I've got nothing. And while I have all these options of different directions I could turn to for temporary fixes, I know that it's only you who has the answers. And God meets us in that place of loneliness, of exhaustion, of frustration, of emptiness, of whatever it may be. 
It's a place to experience communion with him. And I didn't mention this either last week, but as kind of a primer for where we're going, we're going to be starting uh, a, a walkthrough of the book of Ruth next week in the Old Testament. It's a book about a Moabite woman, a non-Israelite woman, someone from outside of the people of God, um, who shows us an exemplary life of what Christ-like love looks like. She ends up becoming the great-grandmother of King David and is a part of the family line of Jesus. It's, in, you know, it's incredible when you zoom back and consider what her faith in God led to in terms of her being a part of God's story. But the reason I bring that up is to say this story is actually going to be a place where we can dig more deeply into that theme um, of God giving us more of himself when we trust him on the path of obedience. And I look forward to digging into that together with you. So that last theme especially, communion with God, is to be found in the midst of obedience or Christ-like love for others, which is so difficult. It has been a motivator for me. It's been a, a, a really a perspective-shifting type um, thing that God has made clearer to me. But I don't want to be unrealistic here. That's hard. It's really, really hard to be obedient, to love when that love's not being reciprocated. It can be painful. And we're going to be constantly tempted to take the path of least resistance. We'll fail at times as well. So that leads then into this next major theme that God impressed on me and my family during my sabbatical, and that's this strong sense to need to cultivate personal mission. Now, that one was more of a surprise. The other two I was not really surprised to encounter because of some of the goals that I had set out with, um, but I didn't go into the sabbatical with plans to cultivate a sense of personal mission. But I also realized that if I'm to endure in faithfulness and following after Jesus, then I would need a strong sense of mission before me. So I set out to answer the question, what is my purpose, really? In general, right, in terms of what God has made all of us for, but also very specifically according to my own uniqueness in how he has made me. And it's interesting because, and I, I didn't even necessarily put this together until toward the end of my sabbatical, but in hindsight, it was totally a God thing. Um, and he's persistent in the themes that he tries to impress upon our hearts as important if you're going to faithfully follow after Jesus. Some of you may have been here for our Matthew series, which probably we finished a year ago in fall, if I remember correctly, and we were in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, for a couple of years. It's one of the New Testament books that is, the, and is, is a Holy Spirit-inspired account of Jesus' life. And in Matthew chapter 20, there was a passage that really resonated with me that I had the chance to preach, uh, Matthew 20, 17 through 28. It was a sermon that I titled, Farsighted Discipleship. Um, it was the third time when we got to Matthew 20 that we encountered a scene in which Jesus told his disciples what he must do, that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer at the hand of the religious leaders, ultimately be crucified on a cross, but that he would also rise on the third day from the dead. And when I saw that for the third time, it really struck me. I knew a part of this was in him preparing his disciples, but a part of that was showing us, was reflecting that Jesus constantly had Jerusalem before him. His mission was before him always. It was his true north. And so at the end of that message, I challenged us all to consider, what is your Jerusalem? 
What is the mission that God has called you to, and do you have that before you? And the reality for me, as someone who preaches most often week to week, there are times that something hits me deeply as a pilgrim personally. There are other times I'll preach a sermon, I'm just trying to be faithful to say what I see that is true. That one struck me deeply, but I don't always have the chance to linger as long as I'd like on a particular thing God has revealed, because then I'm on to the next passage I'm trying to understand and communicate. And so I kind of forgot about it. And then on the sabbatical, God was faithful to bring that back. I just had forgotten, and he brought it back up. So here's how it kind of came about. Um, Leah and I actually started reading, my wife, Leah, a, a, a book together called Belonging and Becoming. And we got to uh, the second chapter in that book, which was all about the importance of a family cultivating a sense of mission and vision and values. And so we worked on that apart from one another. And then we came back together and shared what we thought our family mission should be. And there were two very different views. <laughs> and um, and not biblically speaking, but an emphasis. And honestly, I think we were both a little discouraged by that, so we backpedaled a bit. And in that backpedal, I realized, well, wait a minute. Do I even know clearly what my personal mission is? How can I be helping in collaboration with my family to come up with a sense of identity and mission as a family if I don't even know what that is for me personally? And that's something I had never done before, at least formally speaking. Now, I'm familiar with other mission statements. Uh, Terra Nova's mission statement is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. I could adopt that as my personal mission statement. I certainly believe in it for us as a church. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, the first, very first question is, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right? Many of you know that or have heard that before. It's really good. But I'd never owned one for myself. I'd never done the exercise of prayerfully considering that the, the intersection of our universal purpose before God that he's created us for with my specific calling and personality, my background of experiences and passions and gifts and skills and strengths and weaknesses, and my struggles too. On the one hand, as I mentioned, we all have a shared universal purpose God has created us for. And it can be articulated in a lot of different ways. And I think the Westminster Shorter Catechism does a great job with that. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, it's clear in Scripture that, that, that kind of the apex of our purpose is to glorify God, our maker. It says in Isaiah 43, 6 to 7, God is saying to his people Israel, who I believe are scattered at this point after they'd been disbanded for some obedience, but it's all about the faithfulness of God to bring his people back and and, and to move them towards his purpose for them. He says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring them back together. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So it's, yes, like that is our purpose in a nutshell. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism, for example, captures it well. But the people who came up with that, and I don't know who it was, some committee or think tank of theologians, probably more than one, likely spent hours on that, months, years, distilling that down, crafting that, honing that. And the end result is they came up with something I believe is biblical and true for everyone, but they probably owned that differently than anyone else because of having prayed into that and sought the scriptures for that answer. And so I bet you for those people who came up with that, it became their true north, 
a daily true north that they lived in light of. So I realized there's value in doing this for myself. There's value in doing this for ourselves. And so I steeped in that question for my, the better part of my sabbatical. What is my purpose? Now, you don't need a sabbatical to do this, by the way. It wasn't as if this was the only thing I was thinking about every hour, every day. It was, I just needed some time and some space. And so an hour here or an hour there, I would just pick up my journal or pray or answer some questions that I, I had as a part of a resource that was helping me think through this or have conversations with, with Leah especially and others who kind of helped me start to distill these things. Um, and so I, I was working on trying to hone this statement that was a true reflection of God's universal calling tailored to my personal pilgrim journey. And this is what I came up with. I'll share it with you and I'll unpack it a little bit. My mission is to spend completely the life purchased for me on the pursuit of seeing, savoring, and showing the glory of God. It's not the sentence at the end of the day that's so special. It's the process that led to that as an outcome. And what those individual components mean to me on this unique pilgrim journey that I'm on. It'll help to serve, to hold me accountable, and to remain passionate about following after Jesus on a daily basis. And so I want to just unpack that a little bit for you, both my personal um, mission statement and then a little bit about kind of how I came to that, my journey, um, in a more practical way. So my mission starts off with to spend completely, right? By that I mean each day, leave it all on the field and following after Jesus. Pour myself out completely to trust that if God has called me to something, I don't need to leave, this had been a tendency of mine, some reserves in the tank for fear that I'm going to break, but to trust instead God will provide. Um, it was actually Tamara a couple weeks ago had mentioned a, a book that had been significant to her and Matt called Death by Living. And in that book, the, the author talks about how life is meant to be spent to be spent on full devotion to serving and to loving and to enjoying Jesus and others, not saved up for something that I, I might need it for later. That's what I'm talking about when I say to spend completely. To spend completely the life purchased for me. Man, I need this reminder all the time. My life isn't my own. It was purchased by God at the, at the price of the blood of his son. And when I remind myself of that, instead of that being a cumbersome thing, that is a freeing thing. It's not just about denying myself and taking up my cross, what I should do, but why? My life has been purchased out of a slavery to sin, out of eternal damnation, and into the services of the most benevolent, good, gracious being in all of the universe. And on top of that, he adds an eternal inheritance with him forever in heaven, in his presence with full joy. Man, what a privilege it is to not be our own because of why we're not our own. Now, that first half of my mission statement does not reflect what I'm good at. It's precisely the things that I most quickly lose sight of. So please hear that. So my mission is to spend completely the life purchased for me on what? On the pursuit of seeing, savoring, and showing the glory of God. 
Now that piece of that statement probably captures, it's a little bit like Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? Like the essence of what universally we are called to in our purpose. Um, you could say it a lot of different ways, to know God, to enjoy God, to make him known, right? Um, honestly, that's a pure ripoff. Over the years, one of the most influential teachers and preachers in my life has been John Piper. And that is a, a phrase that he has used often, often seeing, savoring, and showing the glory of God. The reason I chose it is because um, it carries a weight of meaning beyond just those words to me because of my pilgrim journey. One of the things he said, I don't know, two decades ago, probably, when I was early in my Christian journey that always stuck with me is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. It was just like mind-blowing for me to think about it that way. Wait, I, I shouldn't feel guilty about enjoying myself in him? And not only that, but when, like, the, increasingly I do so, he is more and more glorified? Well, of course! And so that is in part what comes to mind for me when I think of the last half of my mission statement, seeing, savoring, and showing the glory of God. So it, that's why I chose that. It's very personal in that regard. So that's my personal mission statement. And many of you and some of the guys we talked about this on the retreat may want to spend some time crafting one. So I want to share with you just a few things to note if this is something that you enter into, and I encourage you to do so. Um, this process. Number one, know that that's my, the mission statement I've just shared with you is pretty high level. It's pretty general. It's not very specific. And part of the reason for that is if you're too specific in a mission statement with practicality of how that plays itself out in a certain season of life, you're going to outgrow it. Nothing wrong with coming up with like sub-mission statements that are in support of your overall one. I've actually done that a little bit. Even you heard it come through in those identities I shared with you last week. But I think it's important that you think about what God has called you to, what your purpose is, at that highest level first, so that you don't outgrow it. The second thing is just, I wouldn't expect um, the mission statement I just shared with you to be what would best serve you. Um, it may be universal in one respect. I'm not sure there's anything in there that I or you would say isn't true for all of us, but it's tailored to who I am. It's tailored to my journey. Uh, Dave Pinckney, who is our men's retreat speaker, actually shared his as a part of how he's endured in faithfulness with joy over the years. His was to live an intensely Godward life, inspiring others to devotion. I love it. That's not not true for me. Um, but that was his because that sprung from a very personal journey he had been on to that point and what he needed to live with, the truth he needed to live with before him to inspire him to endure in faithfulness. Also, um, please hear that if you don't have or don't even feel obligated to, um, to, to do this for yourself, to cultivate a personal mission statement, it doesn't mean you can't live faithfully in following after Jesus. But at the same time, it could be that going through this process is what's missing from greater endurance in following after Jesus. At least that's my story. It's, it's been significant to me thus far. And finally, the last thing I want to say on a little bit more personal note is it feels really vulnerable to share this with you because I know I'm going to fall short in it, All right? It's not a statement of who I already am or what I already do all the time. I actually crafted that as a true north to keep before me, to keep me from going off course, 
when I forget why it is I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing, when I feel that sense of hopelessness or despair or discouragement come in, that's when I need it most. It's not a reflection of who I already am or what I already do, but what I'm aspiring to in faithfulness to Jesus. At some point, I would actually kind of like to more formally reverse engineer that process for me so that it can be more practical for other people to do. I just want to share with you a couple of beneficial resources on that journey. One was that book that we're not even finished with. We kind of got stuck on chapter two, uh, but so far it's been good, Belonging and Becoming. I don't remember the author's name off, offhand, but there's not too many books by that title. And the other one actually was called uh, How to Develop a Personal Mission Statement by Stephen Covey. You may have heard of him. Not a Christian. I think he's since passed away, but uh, he's written a more famous book, I think Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person or something like that. But there are some really good universal principles in there, and honestly, the questions that he presented to ask of yourself were some of the most beneficial resources in that book. So those were helpful, but honestly, um, the things that were most beneficial were asking some key questions about what do I value in life the most? What should I value in life the most? Um, what are the passions that I have and why? Are those from God or are those maybe kind of a peripheral thing that I need to create more distance between myself and, and them? And then I just spent time with those in the Word, kind of cross-checking with what God's Word teaches, uh, in prayer, and in conversation with others who know me. Um, so anyway, if you, if you would like to do this at some point and you kind of get stuck in that process, like this is kind of overwhelming or I don't know where to begin, I, I'd be happy to connect with you and share a little bit more specifically my journey there. That'd probably even help me to reverse engineer and, and clarify my own process for uh, a resource in the future. So that was significant. If I had to kind of name one theme from my sabbatical uh, that was most impactful, I think, it would be that conviction, I need to have a strong sense of personal mission if I'm going to endure in faithfulness and following after Jesus. But it kind of leads to the final theme, which we'll, I'll be much briefer on, but it was it's really important too, and that was this theme of weakness. And I don't mean physical or emotional weakness. I mean, that could sound really counterintuitive. You just went on a four-month sabbatical and you feel weaker? No, <laughs> I don't mean physically or emotionally weaker. I mean spiritually. I had this heightened sense by the end of my sabbatical of my need to deeply depend upon God if any of those areas of refreshment and growth were going to be sustained. And I'm, I'm glad for the chance to, to kind of circle back to something I said last week, that uh, the very beginning of my sabbatical, I talked about um, how I felt emotionally exhausted. I didn't even really realize it until I was on sabbatical, but I felt emotionally exhausted. I felt like I had a shallow capacity for relationships with other people. And that kind of all came together in this little metaphorical scenario of me being in that public swimming pool with that other family who was like genuinely engaging and asking about us, and I just felt myself literally and figuratively distancing, like withdrawing. I just felt like I don't, I don't have the capacity to do real right now. I feel very shallow, shallow and fragile. Um, and, and so I, I share that for a couple of reasons at this, in this uh, um, theme of weakness. Number one, I would hate to leave it at that and not bring it full circle and think that like people are worried about, oh, Daniel's going to dodge me now because like he's feeling really emotionally fragile and shallow. No, no, no. I forgot to say last week that 
God did this really great work over the course of that sabbatical, bringing restoration to me. As I spent time intentionally with him and with others and reflecting, and I went, did some counseling, all these different things that were creating space in my soul to rediscover who I truly am, to allow Jesus back in to shore up my security in, in his love for me, almost invisibly God began to expand those capacities once again. So that instead of withdrawing from community, I felt myself compelled to like pursue and press in and move towards relationships and community. Um, I believe God has called me to ministry um, in part at the very beginning when I started that journey 15, 20 years ago, because I love people. I love to hear people's stories. And stories are hard, but then I love to be able to walk alongside of people and together figure it out how it is that we experience healing and growth walking after Jesus together. That's why I got into this to begin with. And by God's grace, he has restored that in a large uh, capacity for me. I'm so thankful for that. Um, so that's one thing I wanted to say. Like, I'm not going to be trying to avoid you, okay? Like, I shared that story of entering an emotionally fragile. God did a good work in my life to restore much of that. Um, the other thing is, and this is the more general principle tied to the theme of weakness, I just realized more deeply than ever how impossible it is for me to love like Jesus apart from Jesus. All right, there were areas of my life, honestly, that I, I just realized I was, I've, I'd been coasting here. I've been relying on myself. I've been turning to other things as sources of temporary comfort to get me to the next day. And I just can't do that and deeply know the love of God for me and others. None of us can. So I just had a deeper sense of frailty in that final month of sabbatical apart from Jesus. And this is where kind of all those themes tie together, that it's only by remaining grounded in my identity in him, um, staying connected in deep communion with him, and then living with a clear sense of mission before me that I'm going to be able to endure in faithfulness with joy. Um, so I'm actually thankful that, for that sense of weakness. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. One thing I've come to realize as I get a little bit older um, and as I follow Jesus for a little bit longer, I'm not that great. Increasingly, I become disillusioned with myself, but not in a depressive, self-deprecating way, but in a, oh my Lord, I need you. I need you badly, and I want you. I want to be able to know you. I want to be able to know your love for me. I want to be able to extend that love for others. And I desperately need you to do that. So I know that that rang true, or may ring true for many of us, and it rang true for many of our guys, some of those themes on our retreat yesterday. And so we're going to open up a space in a little bit here for, for some of those men who may feel led to share um, what God had been stirring up and awakening in you um, on the retreat this weekend. But first, we're going to take the time we do every week here at Sunday and celebrate communion. We're going to take time to respond to what Jesus has done for us. None of this that we're talking about today would be possible apart from him stepping in our place onto the cross to die for us in our place for our sins and through that open the way to deep and meaningful communion with him and others. And each week that we do this, we are reminded of that. And so we'll take two songs uh, to um, 
celebrate communion together, to respond and worship to what God is doing in your heart. And then at the end of that time, guys, if you're here and you're, uh, uh, I would encourage you to share, um, maybe, maybe three guys, plus or minus, three, four guys, share for a couple minutes um, from the overflow of, of what God did uh, on that retreat. And during those two songs, at some point, if you could kind of make your way up more to the front here so you're close to the mic, at the end of those two songs, we'll have anybody who's come forward share just a little bit, okay? So let me pray. Father, thank you for being a faithful God to us, even when we are faithless. Thank you for creating us for your glory, and that the way that we can most do that is through knowing you and enjoying you. Strengthen us for that journey. Lay upon the hearts of each person here who is a follower of yours the mission you've called them to. Help us to speak into one another's lives words of encouragement that will help shape that understanding and that clarity and that focus of what our true north should be. And when we fall short of it, we look to the cross. We look to the one who didn't just die once for those sins we'd committed to that point, but whose death was of infinite worth and wipes from our slate all sins, past, present, and future, that we who trust in you have committed. And we find rest in that, and we experience your grace in that. And I pray that you would remind us of those things as we celebrate communion this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.